Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't a podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery. And my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Go Hunt Maps. We've been using Go Hunt Maps since they started, providing them with our feedback and our ideas to add to their maps and their tools. So if you go to GoHunt.com and sign up for their Explorer Maps, you'll get all 50 states for the low price of $49. And by using promo code ELKTALK, they're going to give you $20 of credit in their gear shop that you can apply towards things you might want for this upcoming hunting season. GoHunt.com, Explorer Maps, promo code ELKTALK. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Corey, how are you doing over there? Well, my toes and fingers are thawed out, so I'm doing good right now. Yeah? What were you doing that you'd get that? How are you? I, I'm cold. I'm I'm sitting in my office, and I'm just cold. <laughs> so, I... It, uh, it cooled right off in the Northwest. I had... When I went out to start my truck this morning, I didn't know if it was going to do it, but the Raptor turned over. When, it, when I turned it on, it was 39 below zero. <laughs> Yeah, that is just cold. It was it was 19 below zero here. Isaac's home from college and he's working with the local construction crew and they showed up this morning and couldn't get any of their equipment started. (laughs) So they gave him the day off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it was like. And then I'm like, oh, man, that oil in that oil pan is probably so thick. I'm going to burn it burn the oil out and they're just going to be like a big chunk of you know coagulated gooey caramel (laughs) is the rest of the oil but it fired up i was impressed yeah no well you know i I bet you back in the day when you used to have to log with your dad like i did i was handy at sitting on top of the skitter and spraying a can of ether in there to get that thing to start you ever have to do that when i was called (laughs) No, and I never had to do that with logging equipment, thankfully. Wow. And then we used to put tarps over them, and we'd put these, they called them big Bertha heaters. You'd take one of those big 50 or 60-pound propane cans, and you had a, or bottles, and you had a big blowtorch that would go underneath there, and then you put a tarp over the engine, you know, the whole front end of it, so that you could start it in the morning. It's amazing how many pieces of logging equipment burned up when I was back there. Imagine that, huh? I was just going to say, <laughs> a 50-gallon propane tank, an open flame, <laughs> the hood of equipment opened, exposed all the oil and gas fumes there. I, I can't imagine anything going Yeah, a bad. bunch of hydraulic fluid leaking down on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but So, you know, the good part about growing up, logging like i did is i was the worst logger my dad had ever seen and uh since i was the oldest of his three kids me my sister and my younger brother but whenever it's this cold i think about this because he made me go logging with him one time when it was super cold and i frostbit my ears and he said son you're the worst logger i've ever seen you better figure out how to pay for college or you're gonna starve out (laughs) and i looked at him he's got an old broke down franklin skitter he driving a an old beat up gmc pickup truck that barely ran and he lived in a old airstream travel trailer that someone had loaned him and i'm like well if he thinks i'm gonna starve out relative to where he's at i better go to college because that that's not a very high bar clear i mean i (laughs) i didn't have huge expectations but i at least figured i'd clear his bar but he he talked me out of being a logger (laughs) and uh 
So now my brother's the logger. So best advice, best advice he ever gave oh, you for sure. Absolutely the best advice. But I hated it. My brother loves it. My brother still does it. He's got a big crew. He's got all kinds of equipment. I'm like, I'm glad you like it because uh, I sure don't. But anyhow. Every time it gets cold yeah. like this. <laughs> I like the work. I just didn't, I couldn't imagine doing it full time and trying to make a living at it. Yeah. That's just, that's a lot of stress. Yeah. Yeah. And some people say, well, at least I get to work outside a lot. I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. You're stuck in a cab running equipment. I got a job where I get to work outside a lot. Doesn't pay very well, but at least I get <laughs> to sleep in a tent. 70, 80 years or nights a year. So, but, oh, well. Anyhow, uh, I, I got to reflecting on the last podcast and, you know, so many of the emails we got were, I don't want to say the emails were negative, but they take you into topics that are kind of a downer. And we, we decided today it's the Christmas podcast, right? Where, where everybody's going to be happy and full of cheer and joy and, and everything else. So, uh, and Randy, you, you mentioned something about giving away elk tags to all the listeners or something. Well, didn't you? Uh, be- before we turned on the mics, somehow we got on the po- the topic of me being engaged in the political stuff here in Montana. And I said, you know, in 2024, I'm half tempted to run for office under the motto of elk tags for everyone. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure, I, at least in a state like Montana, I'd win. Yeah, I. Well, you'd win something. Yeah, yeah, I could show up with a booger on my face and you know be senile <laughs> and uh, you know all kinds of problems. And they, if you promise elk tags for everybody, I think they'd vote for you. And if, and if yeah. they didn't, I'd bribe them with three or four extra, you know, wolf tags or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I don't think I'm going to do that, though, Corey. That was just you and I laughing off camera or off. Oh, okay. Uh, that wasn't, you weren't being serious. No, no, no. My wife has said she'll divorce me if ever I get into politics. I said, you, oh, I told her, I said, well, when you're involved in advocacy for hunting, you're involved in politics. So does that mean you're going to divorce me? She's like, no, if you ever run for office, I'm getting rid of you. <laughs> I'm like, wow. All right. If that's what it takes for, I mean, I've done a lot of things that are worthy of her getting rid of me probably. Uh, but so far I've weathered whatever misfortunes I probably deserve. And, uh, but I'm never (laughs) running for office. So, but, uh, well, you had some other marital advice, didn't you? You were, you were, Bouting off marital advice before we hit record. Oh as well. yeah, I mean uh, anyone. Uh, we, we should just get in the habit yeah. of hitting record as soon as we get on the phone because there's a lot of nuggets in our pre-conversation that has nothing to do with anything, but then we end up having to revisit it. Yeah, well, Corey and I were talking about what we got our wives for Christmas, and uh, Corey, I think he said he he got some new dish towels or something uh, or a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> And I said, Corey, that's not going to recharge your kitchen pass, man. You're not, you're not, you you don't need to apply for any tags because if that's your gifting strategy, you aren't going elk hunting this year. And uh, so I told Corey, I said, well, we ought to interject some marital advice in this one that this is a really good time to 
to show your significant other how much they mean to you, you know, and uh, that kind of soothes maybe where there's a little rough spot from being gone, elk hunting too much, or, you know, it snowed on your, when you were out of town or whatever. And this can go either way, whether it's the husband or the wife that does the hunting, uh, or if they both hunt, you know, I, I just, you know, view the season of joy and, and appreciation and all the things we celebrate over the, the holidays, uh, you know, it's a good time to, to make sure you're doing your part to, to let somebody know how much they mean to you, you know? And if you got to buy them a rifle or a bow or, you know, a backpack or something <laughs> to, to let them know, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, if they don't hunt, but you do, you can just have them listen to this podcast and yeah. that should uh, explain everything. Yeah. And, in Randy's words. Yeah. You know, yeah. And if they, they should, they should buy you a new rifle, a new bow. Yeah. yeah. I, here's, here's the thing, right? So everyone who's married or in a long relationship can relate to this. What do you want for Christmas, honey? Oh, I don't need anything. When really you are wanting that new bow or that new backpack so bad, but you know, if you say, well, I'd really like a new bow. It's like, hmm, I wonder what that's going to cost on the other side. Uh but I, well, you have a formula for that. Don't I, you? I, I, I do think you came up with that formula. Yeah, I yeah. do. They, you know, my, my formula is if it's a thousand dollar bow and I'm just going to use in my case, okay. For me and my wife. So you could reverse roles, but if I want a thousand dollar bow, I know that that's going to be at least another $2,000 item for her. Cause she, she, the way she balances a ledger is different than I do. And I'm a CPA, man, I'm trained in this stuff, but I'm not trained in how well she can negotiate so now she also says well the household needs this or that you know and so that's another two thousand so my thousand dollar bow is a five thousand dollar bow but you know i've been married coming on 34 years and i get to hunt more than most guys so i don't don't be laughing at me folks i i must be doing something right I was just going to say, you're doing something right. You got, you got something figured out either that or your wife is, uh, very, very understanding and patient. My, it's, it's probably the latter. I, it's I, the latter. Yeah, <laughs> I, that, I'd like to take credit for, you know, I have this great uh, way about me and I'm worthy of this, man. I, yeah, you know, I think I may have told you one time that this old boy I worked with at the sawmill, what he told me the day before I got married. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His name was Don Bowman. He pulls me aside and he's like, Randy, I hear you're getting married tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, I am. And he said, well, I've met Kim a time or two and I've worked with you now for almost three years. I'm here to tell you there's nothing she that you bring to the table that she couldn't replace by noon tomorrow. So behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much sums it up in my case. I, I don't know how yeah. else to say it, Corey, but I do use Christmas as a as a time and a and a way to try, you know, patch up any holes I put in the boat. You know, where we kinda I always talk about, oh, we're rowing together, and then we've used analogies about who's putting holes in the boat or who's got to bail the boat today, or you know. Well, yeah. any any holes I put in the boat, Christmas is a really good time to patch them up. And uh, very true. Yeah, 
Yeah, little does she know she's got a 6.5 PRC under the tree right now. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, you know, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I was doing that to see what the reaction of the audience would be. Oh, man. I, I would probably the same thing. I, I need to go back and clarify because you and I weren't talking about what we got our wives for Christmas, and I did not say I got her dish towels or a vacuum. That, even I know better than that. So. Just to clarify, Randy was uh, embellishing to to establish a storyline to be able to share what he was sharing earlier, but there was no truth in that. Oh, wow. All right. You hadn't said that, Corey. So, uh, I, no. yeah. You do, do, you, Fortunately, Amazon takes returns and I can send the dish towels back. <laughs> You know, we we have received a lot of emails, and, and I don't know if this is just because, uh, you know, in, in the statistics they say what you know eighty five percent of hunters are male or whatever, and so I don't want to say there weren't there couldn't be husbands who'd send these kind of emails, but we have received some really great emails from wives over the last like six months who were asking for advice on behalf of their husbands and how much they want them to be successful and how much they want them to have a good time. But he's too ashamed or too afraid to ask you guys. So I'm going to ask you, da, da, da. It's like, that's pretty cool. when you know, yeah. uh, a spouse is that interested in the others in the hunting spouse having success that they would email. And, and for the sake of protecting names, uh, We've never really ratted any of them out, but the the <laughs> most recent one is whoever is married to Christine from North Dakota. That guy better hold on tight. She sent yep. she sent an amazing email, uh, and uh, her message starts: "Obsessed husband." My husband is obsessed <laughs> with all you post and all that you do. <laughs> but she was seeking help for for some ideas or thoughts. So uh, I only th I've thought about emailing her back and saying, Christine, you realize that the two guys you just asked advice for are probably really low on the list for good advice for these kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're trying to help him. You're trying to do even more for him. Maybe, uh, let me give you some other names, but I didn't do that. <laughs> A simple Google search will probably get you better advice than we can give you. <laughs> Uh, but no, that is, you know, and that's that's something that I think you and I recognize, and I don't, I don't want to pretend that everybody has that same luxury. But having a, a significant other, a spouse, in our case, wives that mm -hmm. you know they don't hunt necessarily, but they they love that we do and they support that we do, and yeah. you know, Christine sending that email, her husband struggling. Uh, on an elk hunt and she's just wanting to see him be successful so bad she's willing to reach out to two guys she doesn't even know to see if there's anything we could do to yep. help her help him be successful as a hunter yeah it's it just i guess yeah it's a reminder this time of year how lucky we probably all are and i suspect most people listening realize how lucky they probably are and uh you know my wife used to hunt Jennifer used to hunt. Did she hunt before? 
Yeah, she and she bird hunts and loves fishing and stuff. But yeah. her uh, her argument is always, "Hey, you've always got multiple elk tags. We have three kids who always have elk tags. We don't need yeah. more elk in the freezer." So yeah, and I try to tell her, "Hey, it's you know, yes, that's a valid point, but there's nothing wrong with buying a tag and a, a license and tag and going out and hunting. Like even if you don't intend to shoot something." Yeah. Well. This year, Kim had an elk tag. She she's never shot an elk. She's shot a lot of deer, and uh, so uh, she has a Wyoming elk tag actually. And we're gonna go shoot a cow elk, <laughs> and we were actually gonna do it between Christmas and New Year. And she looked at the weather, and, <laughs> and she she says, "Don't you already have an elk in the freezer?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> well, didn't you shoot a pronghorn? Yeah. Didn't Matthew shoot a deer and a couple pronghorn? Yeah. I, I don't need an elk that bad, she said. So I, oh, man. I had her right to the edge where she was going to go shoot a cow elk, and it was going to be fun for us because it's been a while since she's big game hunted. She still bird hunts. but uh, So she has promised me that the next time uh, the – we get a chance she said i want to go pronghorn hunting with you because one she knows how much i love pronghorn when they're on the grill also she knows that pronghorn weather is usually way nicer weather than december <laughs> cow elk hunting and uh yeah, so maybe we'll end up doing that and she did ask me she said why do we hunt cow elk in december why not hunt them in you know september when it's nice and warm i'm like oh, never thought about that elk talk podcast is brought to you by go hunt insider you hear us talk about it that's because we use it a lot go to gohunt.com to get the best information available to the self-guided hunter i'm talking the best draw odds strategy articles amazing e-scouting tools that we've helped design, online and mobile maps, and the best gear shop in the industry. Sign up for Insider using promo code ELKTALK and get $50 of credit in the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com and sign up now. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do you do? So, But for any of you who have a spouse that haunts or supports the hunting... Say a prayer. Thanks for that one, because uh, we do get the occasional email of, hey, my significant other does not like my hunting. What should I do? Yeah. How do I how do I train her or him to uh, allow me to go hunting more? Yeah, that's if you're asking Randy and Corey for that (laughs) advice. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, you're you're, good luck. We'll run you right off the end of the bridge on that one. Don't. (laughs) Uh, don't ask us but uh, oh well so uh i i've been going through my planning for the year and there there's a couple emails out there that kind of relate to this um me and marcus michael jace in our office we about this time of year we start putting together okay 2023 what are some thoughts and ideas and I think 2023 for me is more about the adventure and the intrigue and less about filling a tag. Not not like Alaska, Corey and Donnie adventure and intrigue with, you know, all your stuff. But 
the places I'm thinking of applying and burning points this year, my odds of drawing a tag or of filling a tag are really, really low. But I just want to go do it because. And uh, cool. you ever go do any of those where it's like, well, I know the odds are really low, but I've always been interested in this. And if I don't go do it, I'll, I won't find out. So I. Yeah, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're smarter than you're smarter than me. Yeah. Well, uh, hmm. well, that's. No, I mean Alaska. Alaska was definitely a, a leap for us. Just mm-hmm. knowing success rates were low, and uh, it wasn't going to be a, a pleasant hunt. And you know, and looking back, I, we definitely put a negative spin on it, you know, because mm-hmm. it was, a there, there were a lot of things that were not pleasant about it, but it was an adventure. There's no doubt that there were memories there. The, the landscape was absolutely beautiful. Some of the photos we got were, you know, once in a lifetime. And mm-hmm. so there, there were, you know, absolutely from an adventure standpoint, uh, it's got me looking at things like Argentina and New Zealand for stag. Hmm. Uh, some, you know, not, I still want to stay, you know, there's a lot of animals to hunt and I don't want to get sidetracked from elk because I like it so much. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you got fallow deer and rusa deer and red stag and uh, all these other animals that call just as aggressively as elk do. I'd love to hmm. experience that for sure. So those are kind of rising to the rising up on the list for sure. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking about doing some of these crazy, uh, archery hunts that thought the success are close to zero but hey i get to walk around with my bow in my hand for an extra two weeks and there's a reason why the tags are easy to draw is the success rate is single digit and uh so i don't know i'm just getting to that point where i i want to try certain things regardless of the outcome because they intrigue me or it's in a landscape that i've always thought about or maybe i went there and i hunted deer and I got my mind thinking about, hey, how to come here and look for elk or, or whatever. So, I, I think that my 2023 season, I'll be out in the hills quite a bit, but I don't think I'm gonna fill many tags based on the approach I'm taking wow. right now. So that that's a pessimistic outlook. No, I gotta be more optimistic than well, that. You've got to be like, you know, yeah, the odds might only be one percent, but. That means one person out of a hundred has to fill a tag. Why couldn't it be me? Well, I I will look at it that way, but I'm I'm just <laughs> you know this is the this is how you what you're talking to a true Minnesota Vikings fan here. I'm I'm conditioned. Yeah, that is true. It's this lifetime of conditioning. Set your expectations low, and if you exceed them, man, you're just going to be dancing in the street. I mean, that's you yeah. know. If the Vikings win three games, everyone's dancing in the street because they thought they'd only win two. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. High hopes high hopes, and low expectations, and you'll always be happy. Yeah, so, but that's that's probably what, as I think about this year and, and the things that I want to do, I just, there's so, so many pieces to a hunt that are about adventure. And... Or, or I don't want to say like a, your Alaska style adventure, but just curiosity maybe is a better word and going and exploring and seeing and learning. So that's as I'm whiteboarding what my applications will look like this year. That's, that's one that's definitely on my list. And uh, then the other thing that I've found is in 
you know, I, if I said this on the last podcast, I apologize, but uh, Ty Stubbler, Stubble, three, three, three arrow Stubblefield was the camera guy in Arizona. <laughs> and he saw how excited I got helping my uncle Larry. And Ty said, you know, I filmed you when you've shot your own elk. And now I've been on a hunt where you helped somebody else fill an elk tag. He said, maybe it's just coincidence, but it seems like you have way more fun helping other people fill their tag. Thought about that. I'm like, you know, I guess you're probably right in that. Not that I don't want to fill my tag, but I'm I'm looking forward to some of the things that I'm going to get to do this year. You know, we selected the winner for the Kentucky Elk Hunt through the RMEF winner, Randy, went a hunt with Randy Sweepstakes. I'm really looking forward to that, even though I I don't have a tag. Uh, and then we got another sweepstakes winner uh, from the year before that didn't draw last year. So he got rolled over to this year. So that'll be fun. It's, um, I don't know, going out and, and sharing times and places and watching other people have success at this point are super, super fun things for me also. So who knows? Maybe yeah. I'll just get a lot of hiking in next year. Well, if you ever need a a place to come and, you know, practice your culinary skills or, <laughs> you know, if you want to put your fitness to the test with the heavy load on your pack, you just, uh, you know, that our camp is always open to you. Well, uh, my culinary skills, when you said practice on my culinary skills, they need a lot of practice. So you'd find that out in a hurry. My fitness stuff. I'm not like you. What do you, so what do you do this time of year, Corey, to stay in shape? Well, <laughs> uh -oh. I, uh, I, I splurged last night. We had a basketball game mm -hmm. and we stopped at Albertsons to get dinner afterwards. And it's, you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And mm -hmm. so I got a, a thing of grapes and, uh, got a healthy deli sandwich and, mm -hmm. uh, stopped at the little snack bar that they have there with little cheesecakes and little banana mm. cream pies. And I was looking and the other coach came by and he's like, Hey, what are you doing here? This is you, you aren't supposed to be in this area of the store. And I said, Hey, we won tonight. This is the reward. Right. And so I actually oh. got a little mini banana cream pie to have on the bus. And he's like, I'm going to be glaring at you the whole time you're eating that to make you feel guilty. <laughs> and so I got on the bus and I was eating it and he turned around and he held up a piece of cheesecake that he'd got from the same area. So, so because of, of that habit, um, I have to work out extra hard to stay in shape, but I've, uh, I've adopted kind of a year round almost, uh, every single day I get up and work out and it's, uh, it changes throughout the year because I get bored. If I do the same thing, I can't just go and do the same yeah. thing, but I have kind of a, a system that seems to be working, you know, where after season, um, I do some more bulking up, you know, not like just sitting around eating oh, Twinkies I, that, and ding dongs and everything. Uh, but you know, I, I try to add on a little bit of weight that I've lost during hunting season and, uh, add some strength back in. And then after the first of the year, start hitting it a little bit harder. And then, you know, so I've got a, I've got a pretty good process dialed in that, I think hmm. this year my legs were probably stronger than they've ever been. And, hmm. uh, wow. you know, that's, that's exciting to realize that you've spent almost 50 years and you're still figuring out things that make you stronger. Yeah. So do you go to a gym or do you just work out at home? 
We've got a little home gym just in the garage, and a lot of what I'm doing now is uh, just stretching, some dynamic mm-hmm. stretches. I use some bands and uh, some body weight stuff, so not a yeah. whole lot of, of weights. I'll use a couple light dumbbells for a few of the exercises. But Yeah. Well, I wish I could say I was as disciplined as you are. At this time of year, okay, my favorite way to get exercise, get in shape for elk season is hiking. Well, this morning I wake up, it's 30-some below zero. You really don't want to go do a lot of hiking when it's that cold. But uh, I I don't allow myself to watch TV unless I'm doing stretching exercises. Doing I I used to have a bad back, so uh, my physical therapist gave me all these core stomach exercises and stuff, so I got to either be doing those or my wife and I do have – a really really good elliptical machine uh and if i'm gonna watch tv i I love to watch hockey probably my favorite sport to watch uh i don't allow myself to watch hockey unless i'm on an elliptical machine so uh if i want uh, if i want my pleasure of watching a competitive game i gotta be on my machine uh but (laughs) that's what keeps me from gaining 30 pounds over the winter because here's the problem i'm i i'm kind of jonesing to get home because when i left as i was heading out the door kim said i'm gonna make pumpkin pies a day early today this year because we have company coming over on Saturday. My wife makes the best pumpkin pie. She makes the, 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 what do you call it? The crust out of this lard, like old family recipe. It's so good. I I consider myself really well behaved if I only eat a half a pie at a time. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm really trying hard, Corey, but when I walk (laughs) in the house and I smell that pumpkin pie, uh, it's just, it's going to be hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm, does she I'm, make I'm, a practice pie? Like, no. does she make a practice one ahead of time? That's what you should ever do is make a practice pie. You should just convince her that, hey, with company coming over and everything, we don't want to take a chance of the pie being a little off. So why don't you make a practice pie, make sure everything's good, and then we'll we'll figure out something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, I know. She'll see, she'll see through that so quickly. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah, she'll look at me like, Come on, man. You got to have a better line than that. But uh, so this time of year is a hard one for me, though, because I'm traveling a lot to trade shows and appearances and stuff. And it's harder to eat well. It's harder to exercise. And I think about people who their jobs take them on the road a lot. And it has to become a serious commitment to their daily routine to stay in shape. And I'm not talking like triathlete shape. I'm just saying, you know, some level of shape that you can go and give it a few hard weeks in the mountains and not feel like you need to be planted in the grave or something. Yep. I mean, everything that you can find convenience in, in any category you want to look in. And when it comes to food, you know, they've made it really convenient to grab something quick and go. The unfortunate part is, it's usually not very good for you. And it's not conducive to uh, to keeping the extra pounds off in the winter. So, yeah. and, you know, and I've noticed everybody always said, "Oh, wait till you get forty. You're really gonna, you know, you everything you eat will go right to your hips." And you know, and I made it to forty and thought it's not that bad. But the last year or two, it's definitely, you know, if I have a bowl of ice cream the next day, it's like 
the last two weeks of all my core exercise is gone from that one bowl of ice cream. And so I've started every time I, every time I see something that has sugar in it, I'm, I tell myself trying to train my mind that that's poison. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, I don't want any of that poison right now. And it, you know, it works. Your mind, your mind's smart. It can tell you're trying to trick it. And it's like, yeah, you might not, but it tastes awful good. And so, you know, there's, I've got a sweet yeah. tooth for sure that I've got to oh. always be mindful of, but I work out to maybe to justify eating that bowl of ice cream every once in a while. Yeah. I, my sweet tooth is going to be the end of me probably, but you know what, what a way to go, I guess. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so well, I thought of you last night. We uh, we had a basketball oh. game, and uh-huh. uh, after the JV game, getting ready for the varsity game, and I looked over, and Sam, my son, who's a sophomore, he's on my team, and he was sitting there with a blizzard in mm. the basketball gym from oh, Dairy yeah. Queen. And I s- like, where did you get that? Well, one of the kids on the team ordered DoorDash from Dairy Queen <laughs> and ordered like eight blizzards and a whole bunch of stuff, and so all these kids are sitting there eating blizzards and. Uh. <laughs> they're making it really convenient now you can have dairy queen uh. delivered to you at a basketball gym so that that that's pretty convenient when when you started down that path that's not where i thought you were going <laughs> so yeah i i played high school basketball and i lucked out i had some classmates who were really good basketball players I was more in the foot. I was built for football. Okay. By the time I was a sophomore, I'm like six, one, 195. So when you're playing football in high school and you're that size, eh, you know, little defensive backs, uh, you know, at that time they weighed 135 pounds. <laughs> the physics of that wasn't very good. Uh, but in basketball, the beauty for me in basketball was they gave me five fouls. <laughs> And I was there to get my money's worth. (laughs) Uh, And so my junior year, we lost three games. My senior year, we lost one game. Wow. And uh, so I wasn't one of the starting five because of my talent. I was one of the starting five because of my enthusiasm and my, I I don't know if you'd call it fearlessness or just ignorance but i was I, I was not going to the shower with two or three fouls yet to give <laughs> i took mean, it literal when you said leave it all on the court yeah and, and uh, you know marty who was kind of my backup he got a lot of playing time because usually by the middle of the third quarter i'm out you know but <laughs> hey yeah and we came from a place where you played hockey in your kind of spare time so you know, I, I can't say that basketball was a non-contact sport when I was out there. And so that's where I thought you were going with Sam, because I always tell people, you know, the biggest waste that there is in basketball is the fact that people go to the locker room after the game and they still had four, three or four fouls they could have given, you know. Yeah, and, and Sam definitely uses a lot of his fouls. In fact, you know, there's a lot of times where I have to sit in most of the second quarter because he's already gotten three fouls. But <laughs> his aren't from uh, manhandling people. They're from standing flat-footed and reaching as somebody goes by him. So oh. we're working on that. He's gotten much yeah. better the last couple of games and not wasted fouls. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that that was kind of my approach to it. You know, hey, Coach, I'm here to give you all I got, and I got five. And uh, <laughs> if I can tell you this, if there was – if I was in the game, the other team was not getting a layup. 
they were going to make free throws. There, no, no, there were no layups if I was on the court. And, you know, this is how it was. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what else am I here for? I can't shoot free throws. I can't make three-pointers. I can play pretty good defense. I can rebound okay. Other than that, I'm kind of just here to, to burn up five fouls. So, <laughs> I, And then I'm jealous because in the pros, do you still get six fouls in the pros? I think so. Yeah, man, I wish we would have got six. I I could have at least made it to the start of the fourth quarter. If I, but, oh, well. That's where I thought you were going with that, Corey, not about a blizzard. But. Yeah, well. <clears throat> that's kind of, you know, I, I, I kind of joke about that, but that's kind of been my approach to, to life and my approach to uh, hunting is, hey, you know, you got this chance, you got this opportunity, go make the most of it. Don't leave anything you know, don't save anything for later because it doesn't do you any good. It's not like if you, if you, the game, you know, two games ago, you only used three of your fouls. So you got two left. You don't get to carry those over to the next one. I so can, when I can when see it now, I, I, I completely just correlated everything when you said that. Yeah. You, you have 5,000 basketball. You intend to use them all. You have five grouse arrows in your quiver. You tend to lose them all. You, exactly. I mean, use them all, not lose them all. <laughs> well, sometimes that sometimes yeah, I mean, that's, that's what works. Yeah. And, and when I have an elk tag, you know what? I okay. There's twelve days a season. I'm not gonna just sit around for six of them. I'm I'm going elk hunting. You know, or grouse hunting. Yeah, I can sit around for those other five or six days after season's over. <laughs> uh, you know, when you're not talented, you just got to be kind of determined. And that's the only chance I have when it comes to elk hunting. Yeah. And that needs to go on a t-shirt. If you aren't What's talented, up? you need to be determined. Well, something like that. I don't I don't yeah. know. You know. I like that. But, and so here, here's... The interesting part, I, I was back home giving a presentation to my high school in November. They asked me to come back and talk to all the kids. And I'm like, look, it doesn't matter how good you are when you start out. It's how much you improve along the way. Because we all start out at something. Yep. I was voted the most improved player on my team both my junior and senior year. I mean, how many people start out being so bad that they get voted most improved? Two years in Twice. a row. <laughs> huh? And you still weren't the starter because of your talent. Yeah, I still wasn't any good after getting voted most improved two years in a row. But so <laughs> I, that, that's kind of the way I look at everything else. Okay, I don't know how to do this. I, I'm no good at it. But, you know, if I work hard enough at it and I don't let all the detractors deter me, I'm going to get there. It's kind of like starting the platforms I have. When I went to the shot shows in 2007 and 2008, the number of people who said, you're crazy, self-guided on public land, good luck with that, son. They'd kind of pat you on yep. the shoulder and show you the door. And when I came back, my wife was like, boy, that's not good news. But I could see the fear in her eyes of, oh, no, this is the wrong guy yep. to say it can't, <laughs> it can't be done. She, she's just like, oh, no, I've seen this before. So, no, I, I guess the, the, the reason for us going down that tangent is you don't have to be the world's best hunter. And I don't know that there is a quote unquote world's best hunter, but if it's There's something not. you're passionate about and it's something you enjoy, give it your all. Don't go about it half baked. 
and you'll get better at it and you'll have success come your way just because of how hard you work at it. You, you know, I, I, I know that just, yeah, it's crazy that's how to I got to back and see how it's just crazy to look back and see how closely correlated success is to hard work and recognize, you know, it's not about talent. It's about determination. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if it, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I've been that successful, but what little success I may have had in my life, if it was due to talent, I would have had none because I, <laughs> I don't have a lot of talent unless you, you count a big line of BS. That's about the only gift I was ever given. And, uh, but everything else, I, I, I feel blessed that I grew up in a small little town where you had to just work at everything because later on in life, being able to work hard and not being deterred and not giving up. I don't care if you have a lot of talent or no talent. That's usually the determining factor. And I would say elk hunting exhibits that in spades. Yep. Uh, every, every successful elk hunter I know is a hard worker who is determined or she's determined. They're dogged. They, they put their time in. They accept the fact that some days they're not going to, you know, come out on top. But they just look at that and say, okay, what mistake did I make? What could I do different? What did I learn today? What could I do different? And yep. I know that sounds like a rah-rah, you know, Newt Rockney kind of <laughs> thing. But it, it just, you know, when when we get a lot of these emails, and you and I, we, I don't know, I'm looking right here. Uh, it says this year in the folder for this year, we've got 1,133 of them. Yeah. Uh, so... A lot of those emails, I want to just say, work harder, <laughs> you know, because you, you read them, right? Some of them are like, well, you know, if I drew a better tag or if I, you know, had this gear or if I, that, I'm like, no, <laughs> work harder at be, being more knowledgeable about elk. Work harder when yeah. you're out there. Don't give up. That time when this happened in the story you're telling us here. Just push through. You're so close probably to success and something happened and, you know, they said, oh, I just packed up and drove back to wherever. And so I was going to say so many, so many of the stories we hear after season are people dwelling on what went wrong. Yeah. And you can either dwell on the mistakes or you can fix them. And I think, you know, success isn't going to come from dwelling on them. And certainly you need to recognize them and you need to admit them and you, you know, but I think the most important part is, hey, I made a mistake. What did I do? How did that cost me from being successful? And how do I fix it so it doesn't happen again? Or how do I minimize it so when it happens, I recognize it quicker and, and fix it in the field in the moment quicker? And that's really what success is. You're going to fail over and over, especially as an elk hunter. You know, that's multiple times every single day. The day that you fill your tag, I guarantee there were multiple failures on that day as well. And that's yeah. all elk hunting is, is just moving from one failure to the other and uh, learning from it and trying to fix it. Yeah. Well, right, what you're listening to here, folks, is one guy who went on to play college basketball, whose name is not Randy, and one guy who <laughs> struggled with high school basketball. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, think, and, and it goes but, right but, back to, to what you're talking about, hard work. I was not. Mm -hmm. talented in fact i i wasn't even a starter on the varsity team until my senior year and i got cut from the from the jv team my sophomore year 
And it's just one of those things that I just, you know, I think there was a chip on my shoulder and I wanted to prove people wrong more than, you know, I just, I wanted to be there. I wanted to play basketball. And Mm -hmm. I saw people who had talent who, from the time that they were in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, they're starting on varsity in ninth grade. And they were the ones that had so much talent, they didn't have to work at it. And they ended up plateauing and not going anywhere because they didn't have that, that work ethic. And for me, I lived on a, you know, an inclined driveway that was made of gravel and that was my basketball court. So I would dribble a basketball hmm. up and down our gravel driveway and it's bouncing <laughs> left and right and going all over. And if I missed a shot, it would roll down the hill and I'd have to go 200 yards down the hill to <laughs> fetch it out of the pond at the bottom of the hill. And so you learn, Hey, if I miss the shot, I have to run down the hill. So let's learn to make the shot. And uh, you know, those were, those are things that it's just so incremental. You don't even recognize the improvement until uh, one day you're standing on a basketball court at a division one college going, Holy cow. Who would have, who would have ever thought? Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I can attest, uh, anyone who wonders, uh, when Corey has an elk tag in his hand and a bow in his hand and he hears a bugle, that same determination and that same (laughs) vigor for the, the challenge or the, the call to, to action, you better have your, your running sneakers on because you're going to, at least if you're like me, you're going to struggle to keep up. Um, I'm, I still look like I'm running down a gravel driveway, chasing a basketball, <laughs> bouncing all over. Uh, but I, I know that was one of the topics we wanted to touch on in this podcast is, you know, the a lot of the things that people write to us about and ask us about. We, I, I mean, we love getting the emails and it really gives us an insight about what the audience is thinking on topics or their, you know, the, the way they're viewing it or where maybe they're at in their hunting life. Uh, but pretty much every time before we turn on the mic and we go through the 30 or 40 of them that have come in, most of them are, well, just keep at it. (laughs) 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 We're, we're, we're not doing ourselves any favors, Corey, by making it that simple, but, I know. I, I don't think either of us would feel right trying to make it any more complicated than that. Yeah, there's little nuances and there's little things you do and there's information you absorb and that you apply to each situation. But if you give up easy, if you fold your tent whenever the weather gets bad, elk hunting is probably not something you're going to get a lot of pleasure out of. Yep. I, I know I'll say it. And it goes back to, you have to learn from those mistakes. You have to, you have to recognize they're going to be a part of it because I think so many people, I still get discouraged. You know, it's like, I can't find elk, can't get elk to bugle. It's too hot. There's too many. I mean, all the things, but instead of sitting there at night complaining about those things, I'm sitting there going, okay, how do I overcome that? How do I, how do I get away from the people? Where are the elk going to be when it's so hot? You know, what do I have to do different tomorrow so that I don't repeat what we did today? And yep. we're just, we're in the middle of, of editing all the episodes for Destination Elk. And I, watching some of that, I'm reminded of how horrible of a first week of archery season it was for us this year and how frustrating and boring and slow because it was just tough. We couldn't get elk to bugle. And so I'm looking at it now going, why didn't we move? Why didn't we move here? Why did we wait till day six to move? You know, we moved on day six and found all the elk and they were bugling. It's like, 
I knew better. Why did I stick it out for six days in the same area? And, you know, I think you just get locked into it's early. We know it's going to be hot. We know the bugling is going to be slow. So we just accept it. And when we finally crack and we go somewhere else and realize, hey, it's really good here. Why didn't (laughs) we do that sooner? you know, they just uh, we're still learning. We're we're creatures of habits, and sometimes it's uh, those habits are hard to break, even when we know that success is being hindered by uh, maintaining that rut that we're stuck in. Well, I, I'm laughing while you're saying that because my three days of archery hunting in Montana this year for elk, I did the same thing all three days in the same spot, and I got the same outcome: <laughs> zero. And <clears throat> the last day on our drive home, Jace, the camera guy, I'm like, man, I wonder what we should have done different. <laughs> and he just looked at me and kind of smiled. And I bet you what he was thinking is, well, we could have done anything and it would have been different. We did the same or why thing. Why didn't you but, ask that question on day one? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but here, here's the point to that is I did all my e-scouting. And I convinced myself so much that this is where they're going to be. I'm just not finding them or they're just not bugling or blah, blah, blah. They just weren't there. Yeah. And I didn't move. I, I mean, I've walked around three, four miles, you know, doing loops and stuff, but I didn't move locations and elk being as transient as they are, as adaptable to all different elevations and different habitat types based on, is it a drought year, a wet year, whatever. I needed to move, but I didn't. And guess what? Got my butt handed to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, as you're saying that, I, I'm just laughing because uh, going through my notes at the end of the season is like, oh, that was so stupid, Randy. Why didn't you see that at about noon of the first day? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I got stuck in that rut you were talking about. I had it in my head that this was the way and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't listening to what the landscape and what the elk were telling me. I was listening to this inner thought I had in my head that I'm too, sm- you know, I'm smarter than these elk. I know where they're supposed to be. No, I got, yep. got completely waxed on that one. <laughs> And for us, you know, we went into it knowing we were hunting starting August 30th. We were hunting the first seven days of Idaho's over-the-counter general archery season. And I'd kind of established that, hey, I know they aren't going to be bugling. We're going to have to sit water. We're going to have to hunt wallows. We're going to have to change tactics. And almost got locked into, you know, I talked myself out of what we normally do. And we're seeing elk. That was the problem is we're seeing bulls every morning, every evening. And then we're like, okay, tonight we're going to go where we saw those bulls. We're going to find water and we're going to sit there. Well, after six days, we hadn't seen anything other than a doe mule deer come into water during the day. And we kept going back to it. And it was finally literally day six. I might even been day seven. Uh, But Donnie and I are sitting at the wallow. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. I just carved into the tree, you know, on the wallow there, something about no elk or I hate elk or something <laughs> like that. And I'm sitting there going, I'm wasting my time sitting here carving in a tree, not seeing anything. Why are we doing this? I went down to Donnie and said, hey, we have two choices. We can sit here and probably get the same results we've had for the last seven days. Or we can hike back to camp, boogie out of this area completely, hike back into another area and get in an evening hunt somewhere else that we've never been before. And you could see the wheels turn and Donnie's like, go somewhere we've never been where we might not even see an elk there might not even be elk there 
or sit here and we know there's elk here, but we haven't had any close encounters. You know, it's kind of like what's the, the lesser of the two evils there. But Donnie's, you know, sat there for a minute. He's like, let's go somewhere else. So we ran off the mountain, hiked down, got camp broken down, dropped all our gear, hiked into a new drainage. And it was like getting dropped on another planet. You know, there were elk mm. bugling everywhere. Elk were coming in left and right. Nobody had been in there yet. And we're sitting there with three hours left in our hunt trying to make something happen. And fortunately, it came together with about 20 minutes of daylight left of, of shooting <laughs> light. And it all worked out. But every day since then, I've thought, what would it have been like if we'd hunted all seven days in that one area? You know, yeah. would they have been bugling every day in there? Would we have had an incredible hunt instead of a super discouraging, frustrating, slow, no action hunt? And, uh, I'm sure by next season I'll lock into an area and not find any elk and change on the last day because I have to instead of change on the first day because I should. And uh, you know, I look at the times where I get stuck in a rut, and it more often when I'm in a place I'm familiar with and that I've hunted a lot that I get stuck in that rut. Yeah. When I go to a new location, I think this year, okay, I went to a new unit in, in Wyoming for our sweepstakes winter, a new unit where I was hunting in Wyoming, a new unit where my uncle was hunting in Arizona. And I didn't go there with the old, well, they're just going to be in here. I went there the way I always e-scout, kind of the whole checklist of, okay, what's it like, assessing everything, moving a lot, adapting, reading, and guess what? All three of those hunts, we filled the tag. I feel that once it's a place that, okay, I know every little drainage, every little knob, I'm more inclined to get stuck in a rut and do something just out of habit in a spot like that than when I travel to someplace I've not hunted before. I would agree 100%. And I think, you know, for me, well, when you go to these areas you've hunted for 10, 20 years, you have multiple areas that you've gotten into elk before. So you have plan A through Z already figured out in your mind. And yeah. you just habitually and structurally go <laughs> from A to B to C to D instead of stopping and thinking, okay, if the elk aren't here, why aren't they here and where are they? You know, you just yeah. it's it's easy and convenient to have all these backup areas and you just go to them and the elk aren't in any of the areas. It takes a lot more effort to sit down and get creative and be like, okay, what, where don't I know? Where are some areas that I've not been? Why aren't I finding elk in these areas and where do I need to go to find them? You just go from familiar A to familiar B to familiar C. And when you're in a new area, everything's new. So you've got to yeah. apply a little bit more logic and strategy to finding area B. Well, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's the lesson of this year. I mean, I look at the one elk hunt where I just struggled, and it was because I got myself in a rut. I went there with a preconceived idea. I didn't even analyze once I, you know, I wasn't even taken in, okay, it's a wet year this year, okay, it's a hunting pressure. I was just like, no, this is going to work. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you'd think the the area I've hunted a lot, that's the place I'd probably have more success, but nope. <laughs> Just went in there with my blinders on. Oh, I'm going to make this work. You know, these elk, I'll, I'll teach them. <laughs> right. They've, yeah, they've sure. Been here every, they've been here every year for the last 10 years, except for the times they weren't. And yeah, they'll be here again. 
that. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I I think it's worth sharing some of those experiences of where even you and I who get to hunt a lot uh, and hunted elk a long time and we get to help a lot of people hunt multiple different seasons and landscapes and stuff for us to reflect about what are some of the things because we get that question often right well what's the most common mistake you make well there's the most common tactical mistake and then there's the most common strategic mistake for me the strategic mistakes was going in and thinking i'm going to teach those out this is how this is where you're supposed to be this is how you do it (laughs) (laughs) i mean that that that's something i would have done the first year i elk hunted not after 30 some years of elk hunting but oh well you know we're we're creatures of habit and we get in our comforts and that's what we do and so i'm my Montana elk tag is in that big box of elk tags that have never been punched. You know, like I, I keep this box of, you know, they say tag soup. I don't know if you could make soup out of it, but I have this box of tags that I've drawn or bought that I didn't fill. It's getting pretty big. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it goes back a long ways. It goes back I to the night. I say, I shred mine as soon as the season's over. I, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want any evidence, any reminder. I uh, want to go into it completely optimistic, thinking, yeah. you know what? There's no tags that haven't been filled in that box. <laughs> well, mine is a banker's box that sits up in the ra- in the Randy room, and I I walk by and I look at it. I'm like, oh dang, a few more from this year. But, yeah, that's motivation. So. Well, that it is. I mean, it's motivation, but it's also a reminder. Like, I'll see that Montana tag on top of the pile from this year. And Lord help me if I'm dumb enough to repeat that mistake in 2023. I'm confident that I won't because in my journal summaries for 2022, don't think you can teach the elk what to do. That's... <laughs> That's my big note. You can't teach elk what to do. <laughs> so, if I make that mistake again in the in the succeeding year, Corey, I you know, just fire me. You know, send me <laughs> well, out to play, totally, play golf. That reminds me when <laughs> I think Jesse must have been or Sam. Uh, gosh, I don't remember how old, but I came back from elk hunting. I think it was in Utah and. 2011 or 2012 when i drew down there and uh they had drawn a little picture of an elk and me with a bugle tube and it said dad teaching elk to talk and it was <laughs> but but the funny part was out of the bugle tube it said say elk and then out of the elk's mouth the elk was saying elk so i wasn't teaching him to bugle i was teaching the elk to talk but just as you're saying, we can't teach the elk to do anything. I've still got that picture on my phone. Oh, man, that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, that's a sweet thought, just to think of your kids drawing something like that about you. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corey, I, I hope that you've got time to go and replace those uh, kitchen towels and that vacuum cleaner you bought. How, how how far of a drive you got to Boise? Because I don't think as much <laughs> snow as you there, told me you've been getting. What's that? I was going to say, it's a long drive there, but Amazon has really good service. In fact, did you know with Amazon, 
you don't even have to put the item back in the packaging. You just walk into a UPS store with a little QR code on your phone, hand them the package of, you know, the six pack of underwear and your QR code and they take care of everything. It's that easy. So. Wow. I didn't After know that. After this podcast, bit... there's going to be a lot of dish towels and vacuum cleaners at UPS stores. <laughs> I bet you my wife would know that. I'm going to go home and say, did you know? And she'll just roll her eyes like, duh. <laughs> I, did. I, I, I don't even have an Amazon account. I don't, I don't know how to log into Amazon. I, you know, I, we had an Amazon Prime channel. Our content was on Amazon Prime. Uh, I had Matthew set that up for me. And my wife has an Amazon account, but that's that's about as far as me and Jeff Bezos go. Man. <laughs> so, but as much snow as you have, that that UPS truck, he's going to have to lock in the hubs, maybe chain up to get up the hill to your place with all the snow you told me you got. They have my number on speed dial, and it's uh, a frequent thing during the winter that I get a text saying, left a package at the bottom of the hill or left a package at your office, couldn't make it up the driveway. And so it's pretty, pretty common. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to check in with uh, the conditions and the weather and everything come about early March. I mean, yeah. Montana, we are, this, this is the earliest, most brutal winter since 1991 that I remember. And uh, yeah. keeping my fingers crossed for the critters that, oh, man, come on. We need a reprieve here. We we need some warmer weather. We need some of the snow to burn off these south-facing hills. We, so I'm hoping. Well, the hard part about happens. an early winter like this is, you know, those animals, they build up their reserves. And they, they literally live off of fat reserves basically all winter. You know, they're not getting hardly any nutrition from from what they're nibbling on out there through the winter there's just not much nutritional value in it not to mention there's just not a lot of feed so they're literally you know they're living off of their fat supplies they're living off of you know the the marrow and the bone by the end of the spring and when it comes this early they deplete so much of that and they just can't there's there's not nutrition out there even when you say hey things warmed up and the snow melted that's great that makes them sleep a little easier at night, but it doesn't fill their belly and it doesn't replenish that right. fat. And so when it hits early like this and they expend all of that energy, by the time you get into March, they have to have nutrition. And if it's a late winter, if it's cold, they just, they'll, they'll start keeling over by the day. I mean, literally you'll walk, you'll drive up a drainage and there'll be mule there laying on the side of the road that weren't there yesterday. And it's yep. like that until the green grass pops up and they get some good nutrition. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> actually a professor, Dr. Sophie Gilbert at University of Idaho, said it to me one time best. She said, "For ungulates, their fat reserves are kind of like a savings account, and as quick as the forage nutrition value starts getting to where they there, there's like this cross of the plane where all right, we're no longer getting as much." as we need and we're eating into our savings account you said it's really they're trying not to spend that savings account of fat so fast that they run out of it because they can't they can't go get a loan for more fat and more marrow and so for me it was a really interesting analogy of yeah once you run out of fat your savings account is zero and you're done it's it's the end and so 
Yeah, you know, coming from a logging community, that's really easy to relate to. You know, the loggers get <laughs> laid off in the winter and the spring, and and uh, they yeah. live off of unemployment for about four months. And it's the same thing. They're just trying to scrape through and make it through until they can start back up logging again and start yeah. building that reserve bit for a bit and then know that it's coming and they're going to have to live off of the reserves. And it's just a cycle. And sometimes when you have yeah. a a long winter and a late spring and don't get back to work, you end up upside down. Yeah. Well, I think in this podcast, if nothing else, we've talked anyone out of the idea of wanting to get into the logging business. <laughs> my, my, my brother accepted from that, <clears throat> that idea. He just loves it. So <laughs> he always tells me, he's like, yeah, you know how I'm able to keep logging. I married a CPA. So he's, he's got a brother <laughs> as a CPA and a wife as a CPA. So I, wow. I don't know what, yeah, he, so, but, uh, no, it's, it just is hopefully, you know, I, I feel like we broke a drought, not broke, but at least we got some reprieve from that drought cycle in 2022 so fortunately the animals entered with some good fat reserves finally but you just hope we could get a couple easier winters for them and a couple more moist summers for them to just get them back up to that plane of where you want them to be before a hard winter comes crashing in but i don't know yep. yes we don't know. We we won't know until the time comes. Um, and uh, hey, did you see that Utah moved its uh, deadline and its draw date? No, I mean, yeah, they moved it into April sometime for the deadline, and then the draw date will be May thirty first. So, wow. uh, well, actually, we'll we'll get to uh, see the quotas, the recommended quotas from Utah before we actually have to apply. So that's hmm. good. Weren't we just talking about that in the last podcast that it would make sense, like for Wyoming and stuff, you know, that they wait until mm -hmm. they have the numbers to actually do the yeah. draw? And, yeah. Yeah. So I, I went sure and looked that, at that. I was going to say, I'm sure Utah didn't hear us say that and make the change. No. But at least, <laughs> no. at least we know some people are using common sense when they make decisions. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how that impacts things. But yeah. Uh, so I'm, I don't know, I'm just trying not to get fat over the next three months and uh, keep a smile on my face because i got an awful lot to be thankful for. For me, that's Christmas and holidays are always about how lucky I am and how blessed I am to have such a wonderful life and friends and families and get to do what I get to do, something I love. And so I hope yep. everybody else has a, has a great Christmas and great holiday where they they feel the same way I do this time of year. I just feel really blessed. And, uh, appreciate yeah, likewise. And that's, uh, you know, if, if you don't end up with a six, five PRC under the Christmas tree, don't send Randy and I an email asking what you need to do to convince your wife to get you one next Christmas. That's, uh, all of our advice from, from a marital standpoint, is uh, it's in jest mostly. So we don't yeah. have advice that's going to help you there. <clears throat> yeah. Well, RMEF gave us all a really nice Christmas present. Uh, oh. th they've done a bunch of access things in the last 
month, I'll say. That's really helping hunters. Uh, I'll, I'll just use like in my home state of Montana and they've done some in Kentucky. They've done some in Idaho, some in Colorado, but in Montana, uh, they helped expand. We, we have what's called the, the Mount Hagen wildlife management area. Uh, they added a bunch to that where now that's, Wow, this is amazing. 56,980 acres of state wildlife management area. And then they just keep, them and other groups have been building on it, <clears throat> building that land base year after year, decade after decade. Um, and then they did another one in the big snowy mountains uh, that uh, there was no access point for like 50 miles from east to west and them and the Shodair children's hospital worked on that one and so now we've got the start of a new wildlife management area there which is almost 5700 acres so uh lots of good stuff going on if you go out to rmef.org and you just you you click on uh they have a thing called what we do and if you go to latest news you get all these updates and you can sign up for their email list. And so there's like all kinds of Christmas presents coming from no, RME. So well, we talked <clears throat> in the last, last podcast about, you know, we can complain, we can do all these things, but ultimately at the end of the day, we've just got to build a bigger puzzle, bigger, bigger pie, bigger piece of pie for everybody. And, you know, that's yeah. what the RMEF is doing. There's 5,600 acres here, 57,000 acres there. You know, that's public access that wasn't previously open to public access. And that's just, you know, there's there's probably a few animals on that parcel and that's yeah. contributing to that pie and making it a little bigger. And it's just it's step by step. But we have to we have to contribute. And we have to be a part of that solution and keep that moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Oh, and then the courts, they handed us a Christmas present also in Montana. Uh, oh, you you may have read that some groups sued to Im, to stop the implementation of Montana's new wolf hunting and trapping regulations, yeah. and a judge said, "Yeah, until I hear the case and hear the all the arguments, we're going to stick with the old stuff." Well, December 9th, the judge said. No, I'm going to release this. We we can go forward with what we have, and we'll we'll hear your case all the way through. But I'm I'm going to remove this injunction that rolled everything back. So, yeah, uh, yeah December's been kind of a uh, a month of gifts if you're an elk hunter <laughs> in, in a lot of respects. Uh, so, and then in Kentucky, uh, man, there's a uh, there's this thing where Army F and Kentucky Department of Wildlife and the Nature Conservancy uh, have this property that they're now managing for wildlife. Uh, it's the new one is uh, fifty four thousand five hundred acres, and uh, it's connected to another two hundred seventy four thousand acres that stretches all the way into Tennessee. And uh, there's elk, there's all kinds of critters on this. So, uh, is that public access land? <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I didn't, yeah. didn't realize there was that much public land available in back east. 
Yeah. And so here, here's what the, the Kentucky commissioner said. He said, the Cumberland Forest Land Acquisition Project will create the largest state wildlife management area in Kentucky, providing 54,000 acres of permanent public access for present and future generations to enjoy for the habitats of wildlife. I mean, wow. 54,000 acres in one chunk east of the Mississippi. Yeah. That, so, uh Thanks to, you know, that agency, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife, the Nature Conservancy and RMEF for all working on that. Um, I just, you know, I, I, the reason I subscribe to a lot of these newsletters from groups and, you know, RMEF is a great one is it's so easy to get bogged down that the world is dark and gloomy, but there's a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of work being done and there's results of that hard work and that generosity from donors and members and, you know, all from the industry of hunting and there's groups out there doing it. And, uh, I, I want to make sure that at least in the Christmas season here, that people understand that there's a lot of stuff that we have that, that is progress stuff. We can be, grateful for thankful for and uh hopefully we can keep doing more of it that's uh that's the fun part is to see the results of all that hard work come together and uh, even if if i never get to step foot on any of it or i never draw a tag for any of it doesn't matter to me i know that it's gonna work for somebody and um that's that's the bigger pie so yeah very cool I uh, I know that you might. Do you have basketball practice today, Corey, or did you give the kids a break? I gave them a break. Actually, I took a break oh. for myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, uh, I need to go wolf hunting, so we're uh, we'll see you on January second. Oh, so we're, we're taking a week and a half off. We've got conditioning a couple days next week, just where they can go into the weight room and shoot free uh-huh. throws and stuff but no official practice or scrimmage or anything yeah cool well that's very kind of you yeah i, mean, yeah, I can't say you. there wasn't a selfish motivation at the bottom <laughs> of it but it's a win-win uh, well you, you guys won last night didn't you yeah you know, oh. we've, we're, uh, we're four and two and our only two losses was a three-point loss in overtime that uh, when we rewatched the film and rechecked the books, we actually won by four in regulation, which kind of stinks what? that we didn't catch that. Yeah, just you know, it is in the game. You, you aren't always watching the scoreboard, and they forgot to put two points up for us, and they gave two points to the other team on a basket that was waved off after the whistle blew, and they uh, forgot to take it off the scoreboard. I thought they only did that in Lambeau Field for the Packers. <laughs> no, no, it happens. And then uh, two nights later, we lost uh, lost a game by one point, and it was a heartbreaker huh. that we should have won. So oh, uh, we're off to a pretty good start. Couple, yeah. couple close losses. Like, like we said, failures can be motivation. So yeah, that's how well, we're using them. I think you ought to invite me over to there to give them a little pep talk one day and explain the value of five fouls. You know, you don't get, you know, they like a lot of things in life. You don't get to take them with you. Yeah. You know? Well, I, we don't need that talk yet. Let's. <laughs> what do you mean? Let, well, you know, I mean, if you're using fouls in the right way, it's good. 
If you're yeah. just lazy on defense and standing and reaching and not, not even knocking somebody to the ground, then that's a wasted foul. No, I, I mean, my coach used to always say, the only bad part of our record is the other team shoots more free throws. Well, yeah, that's because you got Randy out there who's going to burn all five fouls. I, I mean, what's the odds of a high school player making a, an easy layup versus making both of his free throws? Yeah. He's going to probably yeah. miss a free throw from time to time. Yeah, and the next time he comes in and he thinks he's got a layup and I just yell, Hey! <laughs> he kind of flinches and he shoots an air ball or, you know, bounces it off the backboard. It's, it, it works. Trust me. By the yeah. end of the season, the refs are so conditioned. All you have to do is say, hey, and they give you a foul. P- pretty much. Yeah. yeah. All right. It, it kind of got to be a little bit like hockey. You know, if someone makes a dirty hit in <laughs> hockey, all the teammates look at the guy who's supposed to do something about it. You know, so if someone caught an elbow or something underneath there on my team, they'd look at me like, you just going to let that happen? (laughs) All right, just wait. The chime will come, you know, when I set a pick, you know, my elbows will be up here by my shoulder or something, you know. So (laughs) there's little nuances to that game of basketball that I think are lost in today's world of basketball. Well, go yeah. back and watch the Pistons from the late 1980s, right. and, you know, there's, there's a different style of basketball being played today. Yeah, I mean, the, here's a good example, okay? If you ever watched the Celtics play the Lakers, Kevin McHale grew up just like 90 miles east of us. And one time, Kurt Rambis, who looked like Superman wearing birth control glasses, is going in for a layup in the finals, and Kevin McHale has the Northern Minnesota theory that there are no uncontested layups. So he puts him in a horse collar and gives him the flying suplex right down at the L.A. Forum. <laughs> Rambus didn't make those two free throws. I think he only made one of them. Well, Boston went on and won the championship that year, I think. So uh, that these, these punks, these whining, sniveling, flopping, faking NBA players of today, if they had to go back and play like when you said, you know, the Pistons or the Bulls or the Lakers or the, you know, that back then you actually wore a mouth guard when you played basketball. Yeah. You know? yeah. So let, let me come over and talk to your team. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll explain to them the value that these five fouls, these are, these are precious. These, but they're they're perishable, <laughs> so don't let them go to waste. You know. Well, I think so. our last game is uh, mid February, so we'll schedule some time shortly after that to have you come over. I'll, I'll even do a Zoom call if, if you need to. <laughs> so, oh, I uh, think something like that needs to be demonstrated in person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you aren't any good at it, you at least got to try hard. So. That's right. But. Determination trumps talent. Oh, uh, I evidently, because I had no talent. I'm pretty determined, <laughs> but I had no talent. But anyhow, we don't need uh, to talk about Randy's very low-level basketball career. Okay, that's <laughs> that's not anything I'm known for. So uh, I don't think I should continue to talk about that. But it it was a good segue to our thoughts about not giving up and being determined. So I th- hopefully we hopefully we accomplished what we set out to do today. But. Yep.
Well, well Corey, if we have didn't, a- I was gonna say, if we didn't, uh-huh. let's wish the let's wish the listeners a Merry Christmas, and uh, yeah, that'll be a win. Yeah, there you go, and Merry Christmas to you and your family, Corey. Thanks yeah, for Merry your friend. Christmas to you. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for your friendship and all the time we get to spend together. I'm I'm blessed to have people like you, your family, and so many others, all of our listeners. I, I have a life of blessings beyond anything I deserve, but I'll take it. So I hear you. I I echo the exact same thoughts. So thank you for your friendship and have a Merry Christmas and we'll catch you on the next episode. All right. Thanks for being here, folks.